You're listening to the Disney One by One podcast, a chronological look at every Disney animated classic and beyond. Here's your host, Mike Rolfing. Hello and welcome again to Disney One by One. This week we're talking about The Emperor's New Groove. This is the third movie from the year 2000. Remember, you can find this show everywhere on the internet at Disney One X One. If you could leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we'd love that and we'll read it here on the show. With me today, as always, is my brother David Rolfing. David, welcome back. Hello, our Mike. Third, our third year 2000 movie. So many of our guests have put this on their top five lists and you have not seen it yet, so... Very excited to hear your opinion, but I have seen this a few times. It wasn't like one of my childhood favorites, but it is a good movie and I enjoyed watching it again. And joining us this week, a first time special guest. We've had a lot of Chris's on the show, a lot of Chris Lairs, but we have a new Chris, Chris Nestor, all the way from New York City. Welcome to Disney One by One. Hey, Mike. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So Chris, uh, tell me a little bit about, about what you're doing in New York City. Uh... I'm an actor in New York City. That takes up most of my time. So film obviously means a lot to me. And even, I think voice acting is really interesting because yeah. that that's something I get like sent out for by my agents. And it's like, it's a different beast, but the like principles of the craft are, are similar. So there, I mean, there are people who can be incredible voice actors and like not great on camera actors, which is like a really interesting idea. Chris and I go way back to, to high school here in St. Louis. And, uh, we did, we did have a, a, a few, a few productions of our own. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, we did. I, I can claim responsibility for the, the beginnings of your acting career. Perhaps I mean, you were my first. <laughs> <laughs> we did, we did videos for talent shows. We made James Bond parodies. We made movies, man. We made, we made a, a, a feature-length horror film at, at, at 18 years old. With amazing practical effects That's right. of your death. <laughs> I was stabbed. Yeah, Chris gets brutally murdered in the front hall of my parents' house. Yeah, I was a throwaway character. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> You're in a very important part of that film. I, I know. I served a purpose. And then I was murdered for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I remember standing outside of that of your door and being like, Knowing nothing about acting. I was like on Westminster's improv team. That was like <laughs> all I knew. And I was like just practicing what I was going to do like over and over and over before I finally stepped into when the cameras were rolling. We were filming that scene where like the door gets open and you get shoved against the door and stabbed. And Tom had like a real knife in his hand and he was stabbing you like barely touching you with like the back end of it. Yeah. And then I think the take that we did for real, we swapped without telling you, we swapped the knife out for like a wooden spoon. <laughs> so he could like really stab you with it that's cheeky man and, and so <laughs> i don't know whose idea that was and and i'm pretty sure that's the take that's in the movie because you may have thought he was actually stabbing you <laughs> yeah no i mean that is a director who does not trust his actors and <laughs> you were right you were absolutely right well my cousin my cousin carrie was there as well so it may have been him yeah we'll blame carrie carrie keen he's a cool dude he's still in the biz too he's in la Good. Yeah. I would, honestly, I would be very disappointed if you if you were not. I'm still I'm still making movies. Still making movies. Thank God. So, Chris, how about how about your Disney history? Did you grow up watching Disney movies, going to the parks? Or do you hate Disney? We grew up in I think the golden era of 
animated Disney films. Um, yeah, I watched them like crazy. Like when I think of my childhood, I think of watching Disney movies. It's I don't know if that's good or bad or whatever, but <laughs> it is. So I saw Beauty and the Beast in theaters. I remember that like very specifically. But I just remember having all the VHSs with like the plastic cases. Yeah. Yes. Ex- yes. That. <laughs> I'm holding up my copy of Beauty and the Beast that I found in my parents' basement. They're like so pretty and big and colorful. And I just remember, and they like kind of look like books, which is like probably intentional to confuse little children. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just remember having so many of those. Did you make it to Florida or, or California to go to the theme parks? We went to Disney World when I was in like eighth grade, I think. And I was not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> that's blasphemy. Yeah, that is I mean, blasphemy. So I was what, like fourteen. I was like, "What? You don't like? You don't want to like anything?" So I was like, "Disneyland. I'm too old for this. Like, come on!" And I got there and had like a, a great time. It's definitely better for like the little kids, and I think for then for older adults who can like appreciate the craft that goes into it. I love I love going to theme parks. Still, it's very impressive what they were able to create and build, and what they continue to innovate. I recommend returning if you haven't been in a while. I should go back. All right, all right. Yeah, I'll look into it. I've had friends who have been like the characters at the theme parks, like the Disney princesses. <laughs> yeah, you could be a, you could be an Eric. Totally, I got the handsome white guy yeah, thing going. All right, so Chris, uh, we have all of our guests rattle off their top five Disney movies. So mm-hmm. why don't you start with with number five and maybe a little explanation of why it's on your list? Do I have to go in order? Uh, you at least give us what your top one is. All right, number five, I'm going to say Oliver and Company. A little New York City action there. I mean, had never been to the place. I just Dodger the dog. I thought he was like so cool. I don't know, and it's like a very musical film, if I remember correctly yeah billy joel does the voice of, of dodger so yeah that's right yeah. yeah i don't know i just i loved that movie and i had like a dodger stuffed animal that i loved have you watched it since you've lived in new york city no i haven't you, you should it's an interesting time capsule of like late 80s new york city yeah different different city back then okay after that i'm gonna say dumbo because that is like the that is like my earliest disney movie memory is dumbo I don't know. I loved like the pink clouds that turned into elephants. I loved like all the, mar- like I used to like march around the house during the, like when the elephants were marching. Yeah. They had the pink elephants on parade. Da, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't know. It just, it really resonated with me when I was like <laughs> seven years old or whenever. It's that a came great out. movie. I really liked it when we watched it. You feel so like so much empathy towards this elephant. All right. What are we on? Two, three, three. Three. All right. Three. Uh, great mouse detective. I loved that a mouse was just like solving mysteries. <laughs> and whenever I went to my grandma's, I, that was the movie I wanted to watch. And then number two, I'll say rescuers down under. Good one. Yeah. That eagle was, and the kids like being buddies with his relationship with the eagle was like, that blew my mind. That was like my dream. I was like, man, just fly around like that. That'd be so cool. Um, and then number one, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but I love The Little Mermaid. Like, I <laughs> really loved that movie. That's allowed. That's allowed on this show. This Disney one by one is a safe place. This is a safe space, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I would like my best friend growing up was this girl who lived across the street, Kathleen. And <laughs> we just we watched Little Mermaid so many times. And I hated Ursula and I thought Ariel's dad was like total for not letting her do what she wanted to do. <laughs> That's that is correct. Yeah, and under the sea, like that is such a good song. 
get come on get out of here that's a great list you may be the first one to put little mermaid at the top but i don't i don't blame you that is that is the first one i ever saw in a theater at like two years old my dad took me yeah it's incredible all right with that we'll move on to the emperor's new groove and now our feature presentation long ago in a faraway land there was a prosperous kingdom ruled by a young emperor. Ha! Boom, baby! He had a serious attitude. You threw off my groove. I'm sorry, but you've thrown off the emperor's groove. Sorry! An evil advisor. By the way, you're fired. I'll take over and rule the empire. And one major problem. I'll just poison him with this. Uh. Hey, Kronk, can you top me off, pal? Be a friend? <laughs> A llama? He's supposed to be dead! Emperor's New Groove. All right. So pretty much every episode of this show, I I, I say we thought we had the worst one when it comes to development, the, pro- the development process. And I thought we had passed that with Dinosaur went pretty smoothly. Fantasia 2000 was fairly smooth. But we get to Emperor's New Groove, and this movie went through so much to become what it was that I'm, I'm amazed it ever became a thing. This is well documented in a documentary called The Sweat Box, which you can find on YouTube. This is apparently kind of banned by Disney, or they they approved it, but then they unapproved it, and it just became like a very short, very edited down featurette on a DVD somewhere. But you can find the full documentary in kind of an unfinished state on YouTube called The Sweat Box. Anyway, I'll get into a little bit of what that's about so we can get to Emperor's New Groove. Development of this movie began in 1994, and again, this came out in 2000, so we got a ways to go. It was originally conceived as a musical epic called Kingdom of the Sun. It's supposed to be a movie about South American culture, inspired by Machu Picchu and like a city in the clouds and kind of this idyllic, idyllic place, kind of reminiscent of old movies we talked about, like uh, Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros. When Michael Eisner, who was the head of Disney at the time, heard about this idea, he said, quote, it has all of the elements of a classic Disney film, unquote, and greenlit it immediately, allowing Roger Allers, who was one of the co-directors of The Lion King, to uh, helm this thing and basically have free reign because Lion King was amazing. What, what, what could go wrong? Roger Allers was the co-director of Lion King with Rob Minkoff, who we interviewed a couple weeks ago, so you should check that out. So Kingdom of the Sun, the original plot was to... Was the tale of a greedy, selfish emperor named Manko, voiced by David Spade, who finds a peasant, voiced by Owen Wilson, who looks just like him. The emperor swaps places with the peasant to escape his boring life and have fun, much as in uh, The Prince and the Pauper, the classic novel by, who wrote that? Mark Twain? Is that Mark Twain, Prince and the Pauper? Something like that. Mark Dindal was brought on board to co-direct this movie with, with Roger Allers. He was brought on to add some humor to the movie. The previous couple, Pocahontas and Hunchback of Notre Dame, were, were kind of serious, and they didn't do very well at the box office, so they wanted to add some humor to this, so they brought him in to do that. Meanwhile, Roger Allers sought out Sting to write the music for this movie. That was kind of based on the success of Elton John's work on Lion King. I thought, well, we can bring another famous British musician into this and uh, see what see what we can make of it. Do, do either of you know Sting's real name, Chris? I No, no. What about Bono's real name? Sting? Wow, I had no clue. <laughs> I, I didn't know Sting's real name either. I just looked it up. Bono's Paul Hewson. I only know Bono's real name because he won an Oscar a number of years ago. And at the Oscars, they they say your real name. So when they announced oh, Paul Hewson, I remember that. That's the price you pay. Uh, but yeah, Sting's real name is Gordon Sumner. But uh, so Sting agreed to do this movie. 
but under the condition that his, that his wife, Trudy Styler, who's a filmmaker, could document the process. And that's where that, that Sweatbox documentary came from, Sting's wife produced. So he wrote eight songs for this movie, very specific to the original plot and characters. Um, but there was some uh, tension amongst the executives and amongst the creators of this movie. The release date got pushed back. And due to poor test screenings, after recording all the dialogue, writing eight songs for this movie, some creative differences pushed out the directors and they decided to basically start from scratch. How much did they animate? Were they showing storyboards or like fully animated scenes? I think it was just storyboards, but they had all the dialogue recorded. Huh. And Sting wrote like an entire suite of music for this thing. Yeah. I think I read that they had animated like 25% of it. Okay. Yeah. At least enough to like show it to some test audiences and it just Mm -hmm. wasn't working. So... Like I said, Roger Allers left. They decided to complete overhaul of the plot. They changed the title from Kingdom of the Sun to Kingdom in the Sun. Big difference. And it was pitched as a kind of simple comedy buddy road movie. Meanwhile, the the character of Manko was changed to the name Cusco because they found out that uh, in Japanese, the word Manko means uh, the C word. (laughs) 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 <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, so upset that they realized that before. Yes, they released it. That could have been great. And because of basically shutting this movie down, they released Dinosaur in the original release date of of Emperor's New Groove. So Dinosaur was released in the summer, and they pushed Emperor's New Groove to later in the year. Where was I? Uh, the animators left, and people shuffled around. Sting was informed that all of his songs were getting cut from the movie, <laughs> and this is all in this documentary. It's pretty awesome. There's like the phone call to Sting is is, is filmed. They, there are a few of his original songs are on the soundtrack, which you can find on, on iTunes. But alas, most of it was cut. In the summer of 99, they also informed Owen Wilson that he was out of the movie, which is pretty crazy. And uh, they added in John Goodman and Patrick Warburton to some of the new characters they created. Sting did remain on the project, and he wrote the opening song and the closing song. But that was all of his work that ended up in the movie. In February 2000, the movie was announced. This was pretty pretty soon before the release date as The Emperor's New Groove with a new story centered on uh, the spoiled emperor who turns into a, a llama, voiced by David Spade. And uh, the release date was pushed to December 2000. So almost there. Towards the end of production, the film's original ending had Cusco building his Cusco-topia on just another hill nearby and like destroying a rainforest. <laughs> <laughs> and and Sting, this is all this is in the documentary as well. Sting found out about this and wrote like a very heartfelt letter to them saying, like, I've spent most of my career like funding charities and foundations to protect the environment, protect the rainforest, and I do not want my name on a movie where the end of the movie is the characters destroying the rainforest <laughs> to build an amusement park. And the, he sent that letter to Disney and they they read it and took it to heart and changed the end of the movie. Wow. Uh, which is pretty wild. So as we mentioned, uh, David Spade plays Cusco, John Goodman is Pacha, Eartha Kitt is Yzma, and uh, Patrick Warburton is Kronk. And a side note, Tony Bancroft, who we interviewed a few weeks ago, uh, the animator of Pumbaa, he then directed Mulan, he left Disney for a little bit, and then he came back to be the supervising animator on Kronk. So our buddy Tony, working on Emperor's New Groove. (laughs) Almost there. The music for this movie, Mark Shaman, this is also in the documentary, I keep saying that, but I highly recommend it. He wrote an entire score for this movie, musical score, and they watched it and they didn't like it and he left the project. <laughs> and so they so they brought on John Debney, another composer, and so he he wrote the original score for this movie. And funny enough, the opening number, Sting said he didn't want to sing it, 
And so they brought on Tom Jones. He's the singer of uh, of that opening number. He's the voice of the theme song guy. He's the lot of the nation. He's the hippest dude in creation. He's a headcat in the emperor's new clothes. He's a such selected reading. Generations have been leading to this miracle of life that we all know. What's his name? Who's I was wondering who that yeah, was. If you don't know who Tom Jones is, he's uh it's not unusual to be loved by anyone. What else has he got, Chris? What's a pussycat? Exactly. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Arguably the worst song. I'm sure you've heard the John Mulaney uh segment yeah. on that. That's his his bit is that great. Was a classic. I, I was uh, for for work we were somewhere out of town recently and uh they had one of those jukeboxes where you could like, queue up songs with your phone. Okay, and we, yeah, we, yeah. We played What's New Pussycat. Just because we had to. Because <laughs> why not? Watch new pussycat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Watch new it was just like this local bar, and there and the waitress came over. She's like, "Was that you guys?" We always play the game trying to guess who picks what song. And then I immediately <laughs> followed it up with uh, the intro to Carmina Burana. Are you familiar with that? It's like this epic, like choral symphony. <laughs> oh, like to the opera, yeah, basically. <laughs> Oh my god! It was blasting in this bar. It was pretty ridiculous. So, so this movie was released on December fifteenth, two thousand. The third movie in the year two thousand. It made one hundred sixty nine million on its one hundred million dollar budget, so it didn't make a whole lot. But it did become the top selling DVD in two thousand one. So it definitely had some staying power, and it was pretty critically acclaimed. It was also nominated for an Oscar for the song "My Funny Friend and Me" from the credits. Sting got an Oscar nomination, but he lost to Bob Dylan, who wrote a song called Things Have Changed from the movie Wonder Boys, which I haven't heard of any of those things. <laughs> In the quiet time of evening When the stars assume their patterns uh, There was a direct-to-video sequel called Kronk's New Groove. David, I'm sure you've probably seen that because you've seen all this these random things. Uh, no, there was a TV, there was a TV show. show you probably watched, yeah. I'd seen that. The Emperor's New School about Cusco's he had to take like re-education courses to get his throne back. That was the premise of this the show. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw that, but I did not see the sequel direct the video okay. sequel. And then I'll, I'll just mention the sweatbox documentary one more time. It starts as this like it's like 40 minutes of just like a typical behind the scenes featurette. Like, we're making this movie, it's really fun, it's really great, it's gonna be great. But you're watching this like this is not Emperor's New Groove. This is going to go downhill real fast at some point. And like halfway in, they cut to the executives. We hate this movie. <laughs> and you're just like, holy crap. Uh, that's all I've got about the history of this movie in brief. That is in brief, believe it or not. David, got anything, got any fun facts to contribute? Um, there was a deleted scene where when Cusco is going to talk to, or Potch is going to talk to Cusco and trying to get him to not destroy his village. The, all the soldiers are practicing crushing little cardboard buildings and they're chanting crush all buildings make some space Cusco world will take its place burn the houses feel the heat breaking stuff is really neat <laughs> and during test screenings like it would scare children <laughs> and it was way too no. violent so they they deleted that scene and instead they just have Cusco like putting the house on top of the model that was the only crushing that took place but I'm surprised they worried about scaring children based on yeah hunchback and whatever else we've watched recently yeah that's true but that's my only fun fact this week
So Chris, Emperor's New Groove, what is your history with this movie? Is this one of the ones you watched as a kid or is it this relatively new for you? I'd definitely seen it before, but I could not tell you when. When it came out in 2000, and I mean, it was probably that year. So it's definitely been 19 years since I've seen it. <laughs> it doesn't make you feel old that you can say that. You can say 15 years ago and you remember that, 20 years ago and you remember that. It, sh- it probably should, but it doesn't. <laughs> David, you're not quite there yet, are you? I mean, I was probably, I was seven, so, and I still remember being seven, so I can say that too. (laughs) And you're way older than me, so you're really Do you remember watching this movie, David, as a child? I don't know, like, if I saw it in theaters first or not, so no, not, not really, I guess. When did you first see it? Any idea? Well, I'm sure around that time. I just don't know specifically. I don't think I had ever seen this. I've said this a hundred times on the show, but I don't think we ever had it in the house. And maybe you like watched it without me or with friends or something, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I saw it at friends' houses. Definitely saw it multiple times. I don't know. Okay, so Chris, you've watched this movie again. What was your what was your initial reaction to Emperor's New Groove? I I thought it was pretty dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I was I mean, it's just so funny to see how like actors age. Like, their performances, I guess. And, like, David Spade, I just couldn't take seriously. Even though, like, he did a really good job. But John Goodman, I thought, was... I didn't realize he was in it. So that was, like, a nice surprise to me, I guess. And Eartha Kid is such a legend. It was, like, interesting to hear their performances from so long ago. And to think about, like, where they are now. So that was interesting. But I was like, this is kind of boring. Like, this is kind of boring. <laughs> this is, And they do all the weird, like, you know, they jump to, like, the map sequences and stuff. And I don't know, it felt, like, thrown together, I guess. Okay. David, how about you? Yeah, this has been hyped up a ton over the last 40 episodes, 40 episodes. of yeah. this show. It's been in a lot of our guest top fives. I didn't remember specifically, like, how much I liked it when I saw it 19 years ago. But I was a little bit disappointed. Um, it definitely is very unique when you look at the Disney movies we've watched so far. It is a heavy comedy, even like physical comedy, like the action scenes are like physically comedic and some of it was funny, but I think I overall agree with Chris. I was kind of just bored and like, it just seemed more like a a stupid kid's cartoon than a Disney movie. Yeah, I'm kind of there with you guys. This is a weird one because I understand why many of our guests love this movie because they watched it as little kids and it was really funny and entertaining to them and there's a lot of very memorable lines yeah. and memorable characters and a lot of things that if i watched this over and over and over again as a kid those things would probably be stuck in my head and i would probably have it memorized and i would love it because of that i love the santa claus it's one of my favorite movies <laughs> <laughs> with I tim allen this. i, love I think a lot of people claus. hate that movie but i think it's amazing but it's because i've watched it so many times through the years that i haven't memorized and I think it's hilarious, but it may not be hilarious to someone who watches it for the first time. Same with like D2, The Mighty Ducks. I think that's one of the one of the greatest sports movies ever made. But I think a lot of people, if, if someone saw that f- with fresh eyes today, they probably think it was awful. And so I was trying to watch this movie with a little bit of that context or lack of context. I was hoping to be blown away by it because of the rave reviews all of our guests had given it. And I, I can't say that I was, but I do think the characters are fun. I think the style is very unique. I mean, we've watched 40 of these now. It's somewhat reminiscent of Hercules. 
Yeah, I, I, that's a good comparison. Yeah, you know, a lot of kind of breaking the fourth wall, a lot of like things happening that aren't appropriate to the time period they're in, but you just kind of let it be like a guy with a microphone jumping out of a cake. But yeah, I don't know. I kind of like want to watch it a couple more times, maybe not immediately, just to like, there's so much that happens and there's so many little jokes and there's so much slapstick humor and so many different sequences. So I don't know. That's sort of my initial thoughts, but I don't really know. Maybe you guys can sway me one way or the other. It is funny. It does have like a lot of really good moments. Yeah. And good like one-liners, like you were saying. And like parts that when I saw again, I was like, oh, I remember that. And like thinking that was really funny. Like when she pulls on the, when Kronk or whatever pulls the um, wrong lever and she's like, why do we even have this lever? Yeah. (laughs) I remember like as a kid being like, that's funny. Pull the lever, Kronk. And then there's the one I wrote down the one part where she, I forget what she's talking about. She's like, I'm going to turn him into a flea, put a flea in the box. I'm going to mail it to myself. Then I'm going to open the door. I'm going to crush it. And they like show it all acted out. Like just, it's so random. Yeah. That's why kids like it so much. I'll turn him into a flea, a harmless little flea. And then I'll put that flea in a box. And then I'll put that box inside of another box. And then I'll mail that box to myself. And when it arrives, (laughs) I'll smash it with a hammer. It's this just odd stream of consciousness most of the time. Yeah, it's like like documentary now episodes are like that. Yeah. So or like that movie uh, Seven Days in Hell. It's like Andy Samberg and they were like the, it was like the tennis match. Yeah. <laughs> it's going these like <laughs> insane tangents, but it's that make no sense, but it's just funny. Sure, you know, and he's got you know the John Goodman's character has these like little kids that are just nuts and <laughs> sure little kids love the nutty little kids and yeah so much of this i can see like i like i said i can see why people like this especially that have seen it growing up when the squirrel pulls out the balloon and turns it into a balloon llama and then pops it like there's a lot of really funny stuff it's absurd yeah it's absurd is what it is that's exactly what it is david what other observations did you did you know it as you were watching through this so the the protagonist of this movie i'd say is Cusco. You don't like him very much at the top. <laughs> I mean, I didn't like him at the top, at the middle, or the end. He didn't really... <laughs> he, his character did not change that much throughout the movie. And sure. that was something that just story-wise didn't appeal to me. Like, I just... He's a very hateable character at the beginning, but he still doesn't change. Like, he, he makes one decision to save Pacha, you know, over the vial... But then he still gets the vial and he's still able to change back into human form. And then, you know, I don't know, there's just not, there's not that much payoff in his character to like see a, that he went through a journey. Like, I, I think he's still the same selfish emperor that he started off as. If they would have like left him as the llama at the end because he made that decision to save Pacha, I think that could have been more satisfying, more funny, more fulfilling as a character because now he has to like stay humble at the end of it. Um, sort of like in like Shrek when she stays as an ogre at the end of the movie instead of go back, going back into beautiful Princess Fiona form. He stays as a llama and he could still become emperor. He'd just be like a llama emperor or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like his his character needed more of a transformation. And I just, I hated him at the beginning and I didn't like him much at the end. So. Wow. That, there's so much cynicism in that, in that report. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks to Sting, it wasn't as bad as it was originally supposed to be. I think he, I think he had a full arc by the end. I think he had learned his lesson. 
I would argue against <laughs> what was just said. <laughs> he apologizes to the old guy he threw off the bridge or whatever. He doesn't he crush the village to build his water park, and then he becomes best friends with uh, what's his name and his family. I don't know. That's a happy ending. Yeah. I hear, I hear both sides of it probably fall in the middle, but generally I don't think they had any ill intent with their ending. Well, they did at some point because they were going to destroy the rainforest. But... <laughs> that's true. But for like a little kid, like that's such a happy yeah. ending, you know? Right. Yeah. There's a lesson to learn. Yeah. For sure. Chris, what did you, what did you think of Yzma as a villain? I thought it, she was hilarious. They just kept like making fun of how old she was and like <laughs> how ugly she was and how <laughs> one of the first lines is like um she's living proof that dinosaurs existed or something right like that. right 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 i just they just like dump all over the whole time which i think is hilarious i had never heard of her because again i hadn't seen this movie mm-hmm. until my my wife bought our daughter a little like alphabet book and every every letter is a flap that's a disney character so okay. it's my favorite book <laughs> like a is a boo like a boo loves apples you know and b is whatever and I was like, I was flipping through it and it's like four letters per page. I'm like, what are they going to do with Y? (laughs) (laughs) I get to Y and I'm like, who is this? (laughs) I never heard of this character. Yzma. That's hilarious. uh, Now I know. Now I know. Now you know. Now I know who Yzma is. And guess what Z is? Anyone? Uh, Zazu. Nailed it. Nailed it. I would never have gotten that. Guess what M is? Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Yeah. You got that one. (laughs) Chris Chris Layer would have beat us both in that trivia, by the way. Still got it. That's fine. The king of Disney trivia. Let's just talk about the songs real quick. There aren't many. We get two songs from Sting when they're originally eight. He like recorded a whole album for this. He did. <laughs> and like I said, a couple of them are on iTunes and I did listen to them. Uh, they're all right. You do hear him singing a few of them in that documentary. Mm-hmm. I thought the opening song was really fun. That was very Hercules-esque, Tom with Tom Jones. Yeah, that was fun. What's his name? Cusco! And then, the, but the end credit song is our classic, like, turn on the early, late 90s, early 2000s synthesizer. Yeah, it was like some... It was not great. He did get an Oscar nomination for what was the name of that song? My funny, my funny friend and me is what it was called. He put a lot of emotion into that song. He wrote a song called "Snuff Out the Light" that Isma was supposed to sing. He has a song called "Walk Walk the Llama Llama." Which is one of the ones that they have rec- that you see him recording in that documentary. So it's it exists. It is somewhere. Yes, there's another one called "One Day She Will Love Me." Man, he got screwed. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he got paid. He, I'm sure he got paid, and so did uh, so did Mark Shaman, the guy who wrote the score that got gotten next yeah yeah there's an interview with him he's like yeah i didn't really care i had fun i thought it was good and they paid me (laughs) yeah it's a job (laughs) 
All right. Well, let's start wrapping this up, Chris. It is the duty of our guests to create a rating system specific to the movie we're talking about. So oh, as long as it's out of some sort of number, give us a, a something we can rate Emperor's New Groove out of. Okay. Um, it's going to be out of five. I'm going to give it two and a half llamas. Any any closing thoughts? Um, no, not really. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> You've said your piece. Yeah. yeah. No, I like it is a really funny movie. But it doesn't, I was listing off like my favorite Disney movie. It didn't feel like a Disney movie. So I guess some like deep level, my inner child was like, not okay. Okay, David, out of five llamas, what do you give an Emperor's New Groove? So last week we did Dinosaur. They were kind of equally like, meh, reactions. Like it was all right. Maybe like a 3.75 out of five. That's pretty good. I expected to like it a lot more because it was overhyped by our guests. I mean, I'm kind of on the same page. It just like, it felt like a Warner Bros cartoon. You know, it could have been, I don't know. It was just constantly filled with little jokes, which some of them landed with me. Most of them didn't. It was fun. It was fast paced. There were a lot of little funny one-liners, which I don't remember. But if I had watched it as a kid, like you said, I'm sure it would have been a lot funnier. I did not know that the development of this was so... Insane? Intense? Yeah, crazy. crazy. Like, obviously, they reworked it last minute to release it on that later date, but it showed a little bit. I mean, the writers are... The, the amount of content and jokes they crammed into certain scenes is really impressive. Like, some of the little things they thought of, and the animators, like, they're the ones that have to make it look, you know, pull it off on the screen. So that was impressive and definitely can appreciate that, but... Overall, it was all right. It wasn't one of my favorites. It wasn't one of my least favorites. And this is a lot of my friends. Like Jacob was on the show. I think Joe had it in his top five as well. I think all three of them did. And I don't know why. I don't know. I feel like most people my age, this was right in their sweet spot of being seven years old, eight years old. And so it's nostalgic for them, but it's not for me. And I'm not sure why, but. I think it's because we didn't have it in the house. Yeah, I think if we had this on VHS and we watched it over and over and over again, like we did with other movies, like we would probably love it. <laughs> yeah, going through and talking through some specific moments and some specific jokes and lines, like it is funny and clever. I think also I was just sort of taken aback by how different it was compared to some of these. I mean, we've watched 40 of these movies now. <laughs> and like I said, it seemed a lot like Hercules, but it's kind of another level. As I said, I'd kind of like to watch it again, see what I missed. But I think for now, I'll give this a three out of five. It was fine. I enjoyed it. It was funny. It was weird. When they drained the uh, the moat, when he la- he's a whale and he lands in the whale mm-hmm. and in the water and then they like drain it and it comes out the no- the nostrils of the big statue. Like there's just so, there's so many sight gags. Like I was just, I was just flipping through it again a couple hours ago and noticing things I didn't, I don't remember even watching, you know, a few days ago just because there's so much packed into this. So I'll give it a three out of five. And maybe I'll revisit it at some point. So so with that, Chris Nestor, thank you so much for joining us today on Disney One by One. Hey, thanks for having me. And David, as always, it's been fun going through, through these movies with you. We're getting there. We're almost there. Are we like three quarters now? There's 57, Something like that. 58. There's 58 when Frozen 2 comes out. So Okay. When I give the word, your little town thingy will be bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. <laughs> All right, and remember, you can find this show everywhere on the internet at Disney1x1. And please give us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts, and we'll read it here on the show. 
Next week we have Atlantis, The Lost Empire from 2001. I do not remember this. Is this one of yours, Dave? Is this one of your favorites? No, I I probably saw it once and I don't remember it at all. I feel like I probably have this in Treasure Planet confused, so we'll see how it is and we'll see you then. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Disney One by One podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, send us an email to Disney1x1 at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Disney1x1 and at Disney1x1.com. We'll be back next week with another exciting episode of the Disney One by One podcast. Cool. That's it. We'll make, a show, it. We'll make a show out of that. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. What's new, Pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's new, Pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. Pussycat, Pussycat, I've got flowers and lots of hours to spend with you. So go and potter your cute little Pussycat nose. Pussycat, Pussycat, I love you. Yes, I And your pussycat knows what's new.